I would invite you to take your Bibles, and we had a slight miscommunication in our uh, scripture reading for this morning, and so I would like you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4, and there I'd like to read for you verses 1 to 11, which is the, uh, the passage that this sermon will be based upon. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verses 1 to 11. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves. <clears throat> Pardon me. I'm going to start reading at verse 7. There we go. Now we've got it all sorted out. Verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I pray now that as we have heard your word, and as I open it up, Lord, as you've laid it upon my heart, I pray that you would bless uh, this message, Lord. Speak through me, your servant, and by your spirit, would you open our hearts, each one of us, to receive exactly what you would have for each one of us today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this past Christmas, one of the Christmas gifts that I purchased for Leanne was a three-month gym membership. Now, some of you, I know what you're thinking already. You're jumping to conclusions thinking, well, is that one of those hint-hint sort of a gifts? Well, that wasn't what that was. It was one of those gifts where I, I need to give a little bit of context that Leanne is one of those rare sorts of people who actually enjoys going to the gym. I know, they they exist out there, and yes, I too think they're a little bit weird. But nonetheless, she enjoys going to the gym. And so, uh, along with the gift that I gave with the the three-month gym membership was a note that read, the real gift is not the monetary value of the gym membership, but that I commit myself to arranging time where I will stay home with the children so that you can go. Therein lies the gift. Because we all know, if you're actually going to use a gym membership, you have to go not just once or twice, but regularly, if you want to get the full benefit from it. And so, if we're being honest, I will tell you that it would have been far easier for me to get even a much more expensive gift that didn't have the ongoing commitment attached to it. But because I know that Leanne is healthier, happier, and has more energy when she goes to the gym regularly, I am willing to invest in her health, and so I'm willing to commit myself to helping her to do that. But as important as maintaining a a physically healthy body is, let me ask you, how much more important is having a spiritually healthy soul and living a godly life? In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 to 8, Paul writes about this exact thing. He says, Train yourselves to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. 
You see, while most people instantly assume that if you have a gym membership and, and you do physical training, they immediately realize it's an investment in a healthy body. But I don't know if people are as quick to make the same connection of, of church membership and a spiritually uh, healthy life and vitality. And the other thing that I often wonder about is church membership viewed a little bit sometimes too much like a gym membership because most people that I know who have gym memberships and myself, I will include in this category when I had one, is I had the gym membership in my wallet. Does that guarantee I'm going to get fit and healthy all by itself? No. What, what needs to happen with a gym membership? You need to actually go to the gym. Yes, I know. This is, this is a tough one because I don't like going to the gym. And, and all the hard work that's involved with being there and lifting things up and putting them down and lifting things up and putting them down. Uh, some of you get that one, but nonetheless... It's one of those things where, for me, it's a chore. I see, the, I see the value in the end part of it, but I don't necessarily enjoy the process. And yet, sometimes the same thing happens with a church membership. Some people will become church members and say, oh yeah, I'm a card-carrying church member, but rarely darken the doors or invest actually fully in the life and the health of the church and then wonder why they're not seeing benefit from it. It's the same as a gym membership. We have to not only be a card-carrying member, but we have to invest ourselves in this. And so this is the focus this morning, is to invest in a healthy body. We have to actually train ourselves for godliness. This is what Paul instructs. And this is the connection that the Bible makes throughout, throughout its pages. And so on this special Sunday, we have already been pleased to be able to welcome Phil and Janice and Harvey into the membership of this church family. And we have heard their testimonies of the grace of God at work in their lives and their desire to join in the life, the fellowship, and the mission of this church. We have heard and also seen the evidence of that work in their lives. And we can see that their intent is to invest in the spiritual health of themselves, their children, and this church as a whole. And so I think I can speak for all of us when I say that we have already been blessed and encouraged simply from hearing your stories. And so I want to thank you again for them. And that's one of the incredible and mysterious things about Jesus and his church is that when someone joins the church, the church joins them. It's a a union. It's it's a a welding together. And it's not one-sided. It's mutual. With the one spirit who binds us together in the one faith, the one body, the one baptism, with the one Lord Jesus as our head. And the result of this, this molding together, of this union, the result is that both the individual and the church are built up and strengthened. As together we, we serve with our hands, we love with our hearts, we show Christ's love, and we grow God's family. And in this we are built up and strengthened together. Remember, this, this building that we're in this morning is not the church, right? What is the church? We are the church, the body of believers gathered together in Jesus Christ's name. We are the church, whether we're in this building, whether we're in another building, whether we're in someone's house, whether we're at the park, it doesn't matter where we are, we are the church. And God has designed each one of us to uniquely fit and work best within the whole of a body. God has not designed any believer to to do it alone, to go it alone. In fact, he intentionally designed each one of us to 
work best together and to, in fact, need each other. Even the so-called Lone Ranger, did he work alone? No, he had a sidekick. He had Tonto. He had someone to help him. So the, the name's a misnomer. He was no Lone Ranger. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 17 to 20, our call to worship was taken from this passage as well. And it states this so clearly where Paul uses the, the metaphor the, or the analogy of a physical body in relation to the body of Christ. He writes this. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And then verse 26 and 27 concludes on this passage. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So here we see this is why, as Christians, as the body of Christ, one of the greatest things that you and I can do is to invest deeply in the health of our church body. Because when the whole body grows and is strengthened, we all grow with it. And when we grow with it, everyone around us benefits as a result. That's the way God's designed it. The healthier, the more vibrant his church is, the better off our world is. Our children, our town, our nation. The ripple effect is from the inside out. God has put us here to be a blessing to everyone around us. We're the only organization, I think, on earth that exists not for the, for the sole benefit of its members, but for the, the benefit of those who are not yet members. Because that is our mission. We are called to be a blessing to those who are not yet a part of the family of God. And that's why growing God's family is a core part of this church's mission. And so, as we invest in this, and as we, as we strengthen this church body, how do we continue to be intentional about doing so? And so I would invite you to, again, if you still have your Bibles, uh, turn with me again to 1 Peter chapter 4, the passage that I read at the beginning, and there we'll look at verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. So here the point, the first one that I will make this morning is that to invest in the health of the church body is to start by investing deeply in your personal spiritual health. If we get too caught up focusing on others and neglect ourselves, we're missing a key ingredient. We have to begin at home. We have to begin with ourselves. Now, the context of this this letter is important because Peter wrote this letter to a church that was suffering increasing persecution in a culture that was also growing increasingly hostile towards Christianity. Does that sound at all familiar? Does that sound like something we can relate to? A hostile, growing, incre- pardon me, a, a culture growing increasingly hostile towards the church, towards Christians. And so in this context, Peter's already seeing signs of persecution. And so he says, the end of all things is near. He's anticipating the last day of tribulation and of the Lord's return. And he's thinking it can happen at any moment. And that hasn't changed till this very day. But now, take note that that Peter makes the case that in the face of darkness, 
in the face of the end of all things being near, that the correct response is for each believer to start by deliberately focusing on their personal spiritual life through their mindset, through self-discipline, and through prayer. This is ever increasingly needed for daily preparation for the battles we are facing right now today and will undoubtedly face much more of in the future. Especially, as Peter says, the end of all things draws ever nearer. So if Peter's words applied way back then that the end of all things is near, how much more deeply do they apply to us today as we see the signs of the end increasing? And we see throughout Scripture those signs being listed. Jesus foretold of the increase of wickedness. In the book of Romans, Paul describes those days where people uh, are given over to a perverse mind as they reject the ways of God, and then basically anything goes. And we see that that, that ever-increasing march in that direction happening all around us with those who have rejected God, rejected his ways, and now we see them being given over. And really, the sky's the limit as far as the things that we are seeing happening around us in our culture. As you will have likely noticed, unless you've been hidden away in a forest somewhere and just came out, you'll likely have noticed that June has been declared as LGBTQ, and fill in the rest of the letters now, Pride Month. And of course, the Pride Month is symbolized by the rainbow flag, and you'll see them flying everywhere, incorporated everywhere. And we see the shameless public displays of it paraded through every single, every single city in every single Western nation on earth has pride parades. There is no city that is exempt. Every single one is now having these blatant displays right in the middle of our, of our, of our nation, right in the middle of our towns. And of course, on this note, we must acknowledge that in a free nation, people who identify themselves as LGBTQ are entirely free to express themselves within the laws of the land. And so, living in a free land, we concede that. We're not saying anyone is not allowed to. But we ask the question, are we as Christians being afforded the same right to express our beliefs freely in the public forum? Yes, we still are, but we see that increasingly that is not the case. It is moving in a certain direction. Just this past week, the National Review published an article by David French reporting, quote, Another Christian has lost his livelihood for good faith, wrong speak. This time it's for articulating extremely basic Christian truth that it's sinful to celebrate sexual immorality. And the article goes on to relate how this very, this very week, this past week, when the Christian owners of a CrossFit gym in Indianapolis refused to host a pride-themed workout session, they found themselves immediately in the crosshairs of outraged protesters who immediately demanded the, the gym be shut down entirely. Then when a high-ranking CrossFit employee by the name of Russell Berger, who is himself also a Christian, he came to the gym's defense, citing the, the basic Christian belief that homosexuality is sin, and therefore a Christian gym owner who believes such should not be forced to celebrate something that goes against his religious convictions. Well, guess what happened to Russell Berger? He was immediately fired. He was fired not for singling anyone out or attacking anyone. He was fired simply for defending the religious freedom of a business owner and stating what the Bible says about sin. On top of that, the CrossFit gym announced this past Wednesday that they also were shutting down their doors permanently. Wherever Satan seeks to corrupt, steal, and destroy, he will always begin with the church. 
We've seen this throughout all generations. This isn't a new phenomenon. He has done this throughout the ages. For Satan well knows that we have been positioned by Jesus deliberately, intentionally, to be a city on a hill. And as the city on the hill, we are designed to shine our light out into the darkness. And so if Satan can succeed in dimming or extinguishing our light by either lulling us into the sleep of apathy, by distracting us, by getting us fighting within ourselves, or intimidating us into silence through fear, then he knows, once he's succeeded in in, in dimming or, or eliminating our light, he knows at that point he will have a free hand to do whatever he wants in corrupting, misleading, and ultimately destroying the people around that church who so desperately need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is why, this is why I underlined it is so vitally important that each one of us are seeing to our own personal spiritual training, to our own vitality in the faith, in our walk with Jesus Christ, so that we are ready, that we are prepared to face whatever trials may come our way. Because as we know, the Bible also tells us Satan goes about as a roaring lion seeking those he may devour. He's not, he's not passive. Yes, he, he can be sneaky. He can be cunning. Yes, he doesn't always make it obvious. But he is looking for those he may devour. And he's always looking for those who are unprepared, who are not ready for this fight. And so this is why focusing on our own spiritual vitality, our own training, is so vitally important. And with the proper training and spiritual maturity, my hope and prayer is that Russell Berger, who has had to pay a price for standing up for for what the scriptures say, my prayer for him is that he already knows and is holding to what 1 Peter 4, verses 12 to 14 says. He writes, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the painful trials you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate with the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And I pray that Russell Berger is experiencing the blessing of Christ as he goes through a time of trial and tribulation personally and for him and his family. What a promise for him, but it's also a promise for all of us Yes, persecutions will come, but we should not be surprised. It's not anything new. If we are in Christ, if we are walking with him, we will overcome, we will endure, and God will use us. His blessing is upon us. So number one, invest in ourselves. Number two, invest in loving one another deeply. 1 Peter 4, 8 and 9 says this, Above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. How do we love each other deeply? What does that even look like? Well, the Bible has a unique term for it. It comes from the Greek agape. It was invented by the church to refer to the sacrificial love of God, giving his son Jesus Christ without being asked for, without being deserved. He simply gave his son as a sacrifice for us. This is agape love. It's not a feelings-based love, though feelings are a part of the package, like all love is, but it is a very much an actions-based love because the person deciding to love has simply made up their mind, I'm going to do it. 
No one had to petition God to send Jesus to earth. God decided to send Jesus to earth. It was his decision, his choice to love us, not because of anything we'd done, but because of who he is. And so we see this action poured out on Calvary. And this is the kind of love that Peter is referring to when he says, love each other deeply. It's the kind of love that is willing to give of itself sacrificially for the good of the other, even when it's not deserved or even asked for. A real-life example of this sort of love comes from what the news dubbed the miracle at Quay Creek. The miracle at Quay Creek, some of you may recall, was when nine miners became trapped 240 feet underground in a water-filled mine shaft for over 77 hours from July 24th to 28th in the year 2002 in Somerset County, Pennsylvania. The nine men decided early on that they were going to live or die together as a group. The 55-degree water, Fahrenheit of course, that they were trapped in was threatening to kill them slowly by hypothermia. And so according to one news report, when one would get cold, the other eight would huddle around the person and warm that person until finally he was warmed up enough. And then when another person got cold, the favor was returned. And in this way, they took care of each other's needs. Everybody had strong moments, minor Harry B. Mayhew told reporters after being released from the hospital. But any certain moment, maybe one guy would get down and then the rest would pull together around him. And then that guy would get back up and maybe someone else would feel a little down, a little weaker. And then we'd pull around him. It was a team effort. That's the only way it could have been. The only way we could have survived was together. And they faced those incredibly hostile conditions together. Because if alone, the attending doctors declared that most of the men would likely not have survived the ordeal. Yet upon their miraculous rescue, some three days later, all nine men came out alive because they took care of each other. What a picture of how the body of Christ is to love each other deeply. Quite simply, if each one of us were to be left alone, left on our own, to our own devices, it's highly likely that very few of us would persevere through all of the trials and tests and temptations of this life without somewhere getting off track or giving up. We all have times of strength where we're saying, yes, I am right with the Lord, and you see someone else in need in this church body, and you go to them and you say, I have strength to give you. I will help you. I will pull around you. And you know what? We all love being in that position, don't we? We all love feeling strong and being able to help someone else in need, but I'll confess to you, my problem is receiving. I don't like having to feel weak, having to feel that I need someone else, but you know what? I've had those times too, and I've had those of you in this congregation who have come to me and said, how can I help you? I'm praying for you and building me up. And in this way, we do exactly what we are designed to do. We take care of each other. And we all pull together. We take turns. It's, it's never all one-sided. It's mutual. But I want, I want this morning for you to just look around you right now. Take a, take a second. Look over your shoulder. Look around you. Who's sitting next, next to you? Who's sitting in front of you? Who's sitting behind you? Look around you. You may not know it fully yet. Some of you may be newer here or just visiting. But you know what? I don't care how long you've been here or how short. The people around you care about you deeply. 
I know that for, for a fact. And I'll even say this, the people around you love you. And they love you deeply. And I know for a fact that they will be there for you when you need them. Not if you need them, but when you need them. For as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a member of his church, you are a part of a family that helps take care of each other. We bear one another's burdens. We lift each other up. When one part is rejoicing, we rejoice with them. When one part suffers, we suffer with them. And we care for each other deeply. We practice hospitality with each other. And we do it, as Peter throws in, without grumbling. We do it willingly, not complaining, not begrudgingly, willingly. We care for each other. This is God's design. Number three. Secondly, we love each other deeply. Number three, we discover, develop, and use our spiritual gifts. If we want to invest in the health of this church body, we discover, develop, and use our spiritual gifts. 1 Peter 4, verse 10. Each one of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. I want to underline a word in this verse for you. Each one of you should use. Use. Spiritual gifts are given to be used. They're not for sitting up on a shelf for looking pretty. Many Christians think, in fact, I've talked to some of them, who think they have no spiritual gifts. They have no ability to to give or serve in any capacity. But I suspect, and I've seen firsthand many times, that's because they're sitting still. And the best way I know to find out where your spiritual gifts lie is to just start moving. Start serving somewhere. It doesn't have to be big or lofty. In fact, most of the time you start out, it is something small. But you start somewhere. And you might be surprised to discover just by starting, by putting yourself into action, by simply asking the question, how can I help? Where can I serve? You may be surprised to discover that you're gifted or, in fact, maybe even enjoy serving in an area you never would have considered before. There's a a humorous story that comes from the French Revolution. I'm sure some of you will have heard it, but it bears repeating because it illustrates a passion and a willingness to use one's spiritual gifts. The story goes that there were three Christians who were sentenced to die by guillotine. The first had the gift of faith. The second had the gift of prophecy. And the third had the gift of helps. The Christian with the gift of faith was brought forward first. He was asked, do you have any last words? He replied, I have faith that God will deliver me. Well, they pulled the rope on the guillotine, but the blade didn't fall. The executioners were in awe, and they took it as an act of God, a sign, so they quickly freed the man and let him go. The next Christian, with the gift of prophecy, stepped up. They asked him, too, any last words. He replied, I predict that God will deliver me. Again, the rope was pulled. Nothing happened. The blade didn't fall. Again, the executioners saw it as an act of God, amazed. They freed the man immediately and sent him on his way. They brought up the third Christian, the one with the gift of helps. When asked if he had anything to say, he looked up for a long moment at the blade, the guillotine, above his head. Finally, he looked back at them and replied, Yes, I think I found the problem with your guillotine. Let me show you how to fix it. Now, maybe that's not exactly how to use your spiritual gifts. But nonetheless, God wants you to use them. 
And he wants you to think of them as tools. Tools not to sit in a toolbox somewhere out of the way, never being touched or used, but no, tools to get out and use them as we build up a body, as we build up a structure. They are tools put in our hands to be used to strengthen the whole. No job or role or ministry of this body is unimportant to the health of the whole. Every person present and giving of themselves to be present and and serving on a committee or at a membership meeting, shameless plug right here this Wednesday at 7 p.m., whether you're showing up early to practice in praise team or playing the piano or the organ, whether you're a singer, whether you're doing something behind the scenes, working in the kitchen, preparing food, as many, as many are even right now this morning. All of these things. Teaching Sunday school class. Another shameless plug, Jackie's looking for four. <clears throat> Talk to her. Youth group. Children's church. Seniors hymn sings. Running the tech. The guys in the back right now. The ushers. Those of you who are doing visiting. Working in Bayside. None of these jobs, none of these roles are unimportant to the health of the whole. It is all vital. We all have a part to play, and as we do it willingly, cheerfully, the health of the whole increases. We are built up, and we are strengthened. This is God's design, and it's not a coincidence. This is how it works. And so if we want to see this body vibrant, healthy, strong, each one of us, we look at ourselves and we say, where's my part to play we focus on that, we embrace whatever role God has given us, and then with, with him, we use it and we give of ourselves willingly. And this falls in perfectly to point number four, our final point for building up the health of the whole, the health of the body, is that we serve in God's strength, not our own. First Peter chapter 4, verse 11 says, If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. You know, I think one of the Achilles heels of the church has always been the temptation of Christians to throw themselves into the work of the church and the work of service, but doing it in their own strength. And the result of this is, with very few exceptions, ineffective service that doesn't bear lasting fruit which often leads to frustration and burnout because they're operating in their own human strength and ability rather than in the strength and ability provided by the Holy Spirit. Minister Bob Russell wrote about a father who watched through the kitchen window as his small son attempted to live to lift a rather large stone out of his sandbox. The little boy was frustrated as he wrestled with this heavy rock, and because he couldn't get enough leverage to lift it up over the side, finally the boy just gave up sat down dejectedly at the edge of the sandbox and put his head in his hands. He was defeated. The father went outside and asked him, What's wrong, son? Can you lift the rock out? No, sir, the boy said. I just can't do it. I tried and I tried as hard as I could, but I just can't get it out. The father asked him, Have you used all the strength that's available to you? Have you you used it all? Yes, sir, the boy replied. I'm exhausted. I've used all my strength up. No, you haven't, the father replied. You haven't yet asked me to help you. If you have reached the end of your strength, if you're exhausted, if you said, I've given every last drop I've got, I've got nothing left, I can't do it, recognize, recognize that your heavenly father is standing by with an unlimited supply. Unlimited supply. 
unlimited. He's not stingy with it either. But get this, he wants us to ask. He wants us to ask, and then in faith, believe that he will supply your need, and then keep going. Does it work? Does it work? Well, all I can tell you, all I can say is that I've been walking with the Lord in service for 20-some years now. And all I can say is my Heavenly Father hasn't failed me yet. And you know what? I don't believe He ever will. I'm persuaded, I'm convinced that He has enough for however many years, whatever path, whatever journey, whatever trials I may face between here and the end, I believe He has enough strength for me to sustain me along the way so long as I keep asking. And I believe that He will supply So how do we invest in the health of the body? Start by investing deeply in your personal spiritual life. Number two, invest in loving one another deeply. Number three, discover, develop, and use your spiritual gifts. And number four, serve in God's strength and ability, not your own. And in this way, I know that God will continue to build up and strengthen this body and each one of us as individuals because this is his design and his will for us. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that we don't have to figure out, reinvent the wheel on how to build up the church, how to build up the body, or even how to build up our own spiritual lives. You've laid it all out for us. Your word has given us the template. The design is straightforward. It's crystal clear. And so all that's left is for us to step into it, to to take tangible steps of obedience, Lord, as we invest in building up our personal walk with you. Lord, as we invest in each other, in loving one another sacrificially, the way that you loved us by sending Jesus. Lord, as we also recognize that you haven't left us unequipped to do the work, but that by your spirit you have given each one of us, your word says it, you've given each one of us gifts and abilities to be used in service to building up the whole. And then, Lord, not only that, you said, don't use those, strength, those, those gifts in your own strength. Rather, use them in the, in the strength and the ability that I provide. For my strength is sufficient for you every day, day by day, until you call us home. Thank you, Lord, that you are continuing a good work here in Clarny Mennonite Church. And we pray, Lord, that each one of us would willingly give ourselves to seeing where you will take us in the future. And that, Lord, according to your design, that, yes, we will see you adding to our number those who are being saved as they, too, receive the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. For your glory, we pray all of these things. Amen.